Hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. As a warning, this is a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you're hoping to dodge spoilers for any of today's major topics, including Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, Shaun of the Dead, Black Friday the Movie, and DM Gay's The Graveyard Shift, then turn back now. But with all that said, today's topic is horror comedies, and we are joined by guest Damien Casey. Let's get spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. And here we go. Damien, how are you today? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Excited to talk to you about this. Absolutely. Let's get started by getting to know you just a little bit. So Damien, who are you? What's your groove in the horror community? Are there any projects or releases you want to pitch to our listeners? Let's let's start the episode very you-focused here. Cool, which is very weird for me. I have a hard time talking about myself, but I'm going to give it 110% right now. I'm Damien Casey. I write horror comedy mostly. I have quite a few things out book-wise. Recently, I just released a full-length novel called Coffin Dodger, which is kind of a tribute to 80s horror, some 90s horror. It's just kind of like a a play on all the tropes that, you know, everybody sees in horror every day. I just released a short story collection called In the Palm of the Left Hand Black, which is just six kind of humorous short stories. Coming up soon with DNT Publishing, I have a book called Hot Pink Satanism that I'm writing with Kyra Torres, which is just kind of a wacky oddball look on what hell is. Instead of dark and gloomy, it's all bright and Lisa Frank. And we've had a blast writing that. That, yeah, that would be my hell. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Like cotton candy instead of hell, instead of like fire. So, yeah. so we, re- we really turned it up to like 27, I guess. <laughs> 66 if you want to be like really evil <laughs> but um my place i guess in the horror community is i'm just i love reading other writers i love supporting people it's just it's like a great big online hangout all the time for me i guess which might get annoying because i'm always talking to people and they're like oh here's damien again but i don't that's who i am that's how i choose that's who i am and how to choose to live my life i guess <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like in the best case scenarios, that's what Twitter and Instagram and all those other things can be for us. It's like we found our peers. I can live, I live in nowhere, Georgia. Like I am not going to randomly stumble across people from the horror community in, in my own life. But on Twitter, I can find all y'all and we can have these conversations about people and it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I live in West Virginia, like right on the border of Southern Ohio. And there's like, it's the Bible Belt. So there's not a lot for fans or even like, anime has made a really big like resurgence around here but i'm not the biggest anime fan so i'm like still kind of outside the loop as far as like culture popular culture things go with like i guess you'd call it nerdy culture or whatever it is but right so i get it yeah but bible belt we are we are both i guess trenched in uh let's watch college football on saturdays and church on sundays and don't talk about evil things like horror how dare you everything's satan everything's satan around here it's like oh i forgot to take out the trash satan <laughs> it's like just everything <laughs> you evil human being track <laughs> out on fridays everyone knows that now 
cool. All of that said, it you're the perfect person to have on for this this episode with all the horror comedy connections and your books and the short stories. So let's let's dive into this. We've got a couple of movies and books pulled for today to, that I think in my mind, they really showcase well what horror comedy can do well, what horror comedy uh, sometimes falters when it's trying to do. But with, with the things that we've chosen, I guess first let's talk big picture here with horror comedies. What drives you towards horror comedy? What is it about this subgenre that seems exciting to you or interesting to you? What, why is this kind of where you've made your home? To me personally, it's something that I've just always liked. I grew up watching like Return of the Living Dead, which is one of the biggest horror comedies. People seem to forget that that's a horror comedy, but it's really funny. Like there's a lot of hilarious parts in it. And we're um, on this episode on July 3rd too. So that's like perfect. <laughs> so I'm going to eat pizza and watch Return of the Living Dead. It's the perfect day. But there's just, I don't know. Like even if you look at something like Beetlejuice, just looking over at my movies that caught my eye, I guess I'd consider that horror comedy in a way. Yeah. It's like, everybody likes it but nobody realizes they like it and there's just to me so much more you can do within it like you can you can make a statement about society or what's going on in the world with like a joke or a humorous thing kind of like great you know comedic directors have done like john waters did with a lot of his old movies like he has something satirical or over the top and horror really provides a good place to do that with the gore and the violence and any kind of monsters you could think of so it's just to me it's a very small subgenre for some reason, but I just I just think they cross over so well. Like there's just something about awkward humor and horror that just mix so well. Yeah. And I think anytime anytime horror and comedy are working in tandem together, something that I've really not been studying, that makes it sound like I'm paying way way too much time to this, but uh, something that I've kind of been paying attention to, especially as I was learning to be a horror author myself, was a lot of people talk about kind of the rules of a good scare and the rules of a good scare are the same as the rules of a good joke. You've got to have some sort of a setup. You've got to build up the tension and you've got to get to the audience to a point where they know something's about to happen, but they don't quite know what yet. And then if it's a horror element, you throw something spooky at them. You have something jump out of the closet. You, you have something terrifying show up, whatever it is. If it's a comedy, you have just a joke. Uh, you, you subvert their expectations with something funny comedic but it's the same exact setup and that's fun to watch in these horror movies because when you've got both genres kind of working full fire with each other at the same time you can have that exact same setup and that exact same buildup of tension and you get these moments where i don't know if this thing that's jumping out of the closet is going to scare me i don't know if it's going to make me laugh but you get these moments of just peak investment in the in the topic in the medium whatever's going on there and i just like how the two of them can, them can play off of each other so i think that's why that's why we get so many good horror comedies and like you said it's kind of a small subgenre for some reason but when yeah. it works it really works i look i just look back at things like even like if you think about child's play they're yep. like a few you've got like elements of chucky kind of being comedic and funny but then at the same time scary so it's like there's just this bigger field to play with, I feel like. And something like Leprechaun that's just so over the top and dumb is like, it's almost comfort food in a way because of the comedic elements. It's horror, but it's something that you could watch all the time because you're like, this is so fun and over the top, you know? Yeah, it, it immediately invites you to not take it too seriously. Uh, exactly. 
exactly and that's to me like i love i don't like i don't really like using the term elevated horror because i'm not exactly 100 percent sure if that's problematic or not but i i like stuff like that i really do i love sitting down and like being a complete movie nerd like look at that shot look how they panned in on that look at the rule of three on that shot but i don't find myself revisiting those movies as much a movie that's got more humor kind of becomes like I always tell people there's best movies made and then there's favorite movies. The best movies sometimes aren't favorites because you're like, wow, that was a really great cinematic achievement. I can't believe they created this piece of art. And then you're like, well, probably never watch it again because it kind of hurt my feelings. (laughs) So so to me, horror comedy has just always been kind of this place where you could still kind of say those things and have those good moments of going to the movies or, or anything goes in that type of setting i guess you can bend the laws of physics you can have killer like killer clowns from outer space and people will be like oh this is quote-unquote horror comedy so all rules are off i guess it doesn't matter if that popcorn just grew into a monster yeah i, I think horror is already this genre where your creativity is allowed to expand as much as possible and then adding the comedy element to that too you we're not even just going for scares here we're going for literally anything you can think of and jumping the shark a little bit, that was my experience with DMG's The Graveyard Shift was I went into it kind of expecting some sort of a subdued book with a couple of jokes scattered here and there. And just from the gun, that thing is just spiraling into this insane story with all this crazy nonsense going on every single page. It's like, this is awesome. My imagination could never have taken me this far and this big like she just did. And I loved it. The thing I really love about it's the series as a whole. I've, I've read all the books, actually. And the thing I really love about the series is she could have just paused. Like, she could have just stopped. Like, okay, this guy works at me and sort of ran by the devil. And people would have been like, oh, that's kind of a crazy concept. But then there's a talking cockroach. Yeah. Oh, that's getting wild. But he also really likes Dio. And then you're like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> it's like it just spirals into such a like explosion of ridiculousness in a lot of ways. And that's what I really love. It's like she just took off all borders and was just like, I'm going to go for this. And it, I guess let's go ahead and dive into the graveyard shift. Let's just make this the official portion of the, the episode where we talk about this book. So a big cornerstone of this podcast is trying to talk about how the different mediums play off of each other. What can a movie do that a book can't do? What can a book do that a, that a movie can't do within these subgenres? So with the graveyard shift, like you're talking about with its with its kind of ridiculous premise, she wrote so many things into this book that you could never put into a movie because it would be a five trillion dollar movie to make. <laughs> For sure. Like it would could you imagine seeing that movie with like the hell portals and things? It would be insane. It would just be wild. I want it so badly, but it would never I don't know if it would ever get studio approved. Like it, yeah. It would be such a hard sell, but it's so cool that we can just play in that space in our mind's eye. Um, she can write something like Kevin the Talking Cockroach blasting Dio through the speakers as they back yeah, yeah. him to death. And it's it's just, it fits. Just go for it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, um, for me with the Graveyard Shift, a lot of it is just, like you said, if you made it into a movie, it would just be so over the top. Just thinking from a logistics standpoint, how would you even animate? Because you'd have to animate Kevin. There's no way around it. Like people would have to animate it. It would be cool if it was practical effects, but the amount of time that would take to make is just like insane. And I don't think, I don't know, like I think given the right director and the right studio and everything, it could be perfect. It could be perfection done right. But like you said, it's such a big thing that it's like, how do you even manage to make that? The best comp I can think of for anybody that hasn't read this book, that's like maybe interested. There was a show that came out a couple of years ago. It was an anime 
show that's so that's what kind of like triggered my memory here it was a show called axe cop it was this cartoon that i think the entire premise of it was one of the writers in the showroom had their kid just telling them bedtime stories about this superhero called axe cop they just animated whatever the hell the kid came up with and every single episode is just freaking bonkers in the exact same way as this is but with DM Gay's book, there's like there's a point to the insanity, right? It's all building to something. Whereas with Axe Cop, it was just this four-year-old's imagination running wild. Um, there, there's a plot line here. There's there's a main character that's actually going through some trials and growing as a person, and it's it's all very intentional and well thought out. But the the events that are unfolding in it would have to be animated in that style, where somebody could draw whatever they wanted. You couldn't CGI this or or try to make a live action. I don't think. And that's another point too. Like especially with the M. Gay's books, it's like Lloyd is such a character that you're rooting for the whole time. Like you just watch him and you're like, come on, come on, man. <laughs> like you're. It's like it's like your annoying neighbor. You just want to see him get his head out of his ass the whole time, and he just won't do it. But you're like, come on. And horror comedy, especially that series, creates this sense of characters where you're like, I love all of these characters, even when they're just, if I knew them in real life, I would hate them, but I love them still nonetheless. And there's just so much more to say about like your empathy in that. Like you can read this person and kind of understand, okay, well, maybe this person who I'm annoyed with isn't as annoying because maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're a talking cockroach who likes Dio, (laughs) but it's like, you can just, there's so much more to say within that, within that. I think maybe a live action movie would be great, but it would have to be practical effects. Going back to that, it are practical effects for sure. We are going to spend the next 25 years teaching a cockroach to talk and appreciate Dio solely for the purposes of shooting this film. How did they, how did they make Joe's apartment? Remember that movie? I don't. It's like an old, it, it, well, it's like not old, it's 90s. It was um, a guy whose apartment was taken over by cockroaches and it was a comedy and they like sung songs. I don't remember it that well, but I don't remember if that was practical effects or CG. Maybe that's worth looking into and being like, hey. Yeah. If it worked in the 90s, it can work now, right? <laughs> that's what that, that's the new rage, right? That's the new rage. It's the 90s all over again. Yeah. Pitch it as a, uh, a requel to Joe's apartment, <laughs> even if it has nothing to do with it. Evan spawned all of the cockroaches that took over Joe's apartment. I don't even know if it's about a guy named Joe's apartment. That's how little I know about the movie. I just remember seeing the poster like the like the trailer when I was a kid. I'm gonna go find this movie now and we'll we'll have a watch together and it yeah. will be the greatest movie we've ever seen. I do want to circle back to something you said there though, um, about Lloyd being kind of this guy that's down on his luck, this character that it's hard to cheer for him to start with, but then as he starts getting traction, you start seeing him kind of putting his life together. Like you, you grow to love the guy. What is it about horror comedies that really attracts us to those kind of characters? Because if I just give you that general vague description of guy who's down on his luck and starts building his way out of it, I really think that describes the main characters in every movie and thing we're talking about, every, every horror comedy we're going to hit today. So Shaun of the Dead, that's Shaun. Black Friday, that is, oh, what's the guy's name? Yeah, I'm going to go look this up. Um, the, the dad, though, the dad that's really focused on getting back and spending Thanksgiving dinner with this, with this kid. I'm going to go look, look the name up while you're talking in a minute. Um, but that's that character. And then Tucker and Dale versus Evil, that's Tucker, that's Dale at the beginning of the movie. So what is it about those characters that makes them kind of perfect fodder for these sorts of movies, books, films, everything? I kind of think in my opinion, it's just, that's who we all are. Like, and we're all kind of 
just stumbling around through life doing dumb things and barely making it like if you're if you're more than barely making it right now you're probably lying to somebody or you're extremely rich and like have everything perfect and even i guess rich people are probably stumbling along we're all just stumbling along some of us are doing it with a diet of cheetos and some are doing it with a diet of filet mignon or something but i also think in horror just in general there's always those characters like even if you think about a movie like friday the 13th part four or seven or anything everybody always relates to the characters that have these loud personalities and they're just very outlandish and i think there's something to relate to in that when you see like wow this person's really down and i wish i was that i wish i had that kind of loud over-the-top personality in a lot of ways or it's somebody you knew who did it's just i think we're attracted to loud personalities as human beings and horror comedies especially something like tucker and dale versus evil just lets that play out at full volume where you can see everybody's little eccentricities and not think like that doesn't make sense because it's already ridiculous. So it's like, it sometimes feels closer to life to me, I guess. Cause if something bad happens in your life, you don't usually, I guess maybe I'm exposing myself as having some deep seated mental illness. I don't know about, but if something bad happens, you, you don't, you, you'll spend a while being down and bummed, but eventually you're going to like, you can make dumb jokes about it in a lot of ways. A lot of people are okay with, like, you know, it's humor is the biggest coping mechanism I see. Right. So I think how many people see these people that are having a rough time and they're like, oh, yeah, that is kind of funny that their life sucks and my life kind of sucks. Yeah, that's I, I don't think you're telling on yourself at all right there. I think that's a perfectly normal thing, like comedy as a coping mechanism. I know my wife gets pissed off at me all the time for doing that. Something super serious will be going on. I don't know how to process it. So I try to make jokes about it. And she's like, it's not time for that yet. Shut up. <laughs> Throws or even, at me. even if you do process it, like in a year, it's funny. Like in a year, like you're like laughing about something that happened that you shouldn't be laughing about. Like you went to somebody's funeral and somebody said something dumb. And then like two minutes later, you're like, how did they say that? And it's funny all of a sudden. Like, I don't know why people are like this, but that's just how we are. It's it's cathartic, I guess, trying to feel better in a bad situation. So kind of stumbling backwards into a big realization about horror comedies here. Maybe that's something that's so big about this genre is we see these characters at some of the worst moments and they're using the comedy or the directors are using comedy or the writers are using comedy or whatever else. They're using these jokes to try to help build back out of it, maybe. Yeah, and even if it's not anything that's, like, so deep in a lot of movies, like, just for example, I said Killer Clowns from Outer Space earlier, like, that's not a deep movie by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, no. It's just such a fun movie, and all the characters you just love, because you're just, like, they just have these personalities, and you're like, man, I'd love to hang out with them. And I think that's a lot of it, is it's almost like some horror comedy has such a warm comfort food feeling that it just makes you feel like you're hanging out with old friends i think this is a really good transition point to talk about black friday the movie because we're we're kind of poking at something that i had a hard time with with this movie so i want to let you start us off with this black friday was one of the movies that you suggested we watch for this episode so i i know it's got some sort of a special place in your heart why did you recommend this movie why when we started talking about horror comedies was this one of the big ones that jumped out at you do you like this movie do you not like this movie kind of set the stage for us here a lot of the reason why i chose that movie is the book is dm gay's graveyard shift i think it pairs really well with that in the sense that they're both about retail and how crummy a person's willing to, willing to put how much crummy stuff someone's willing to put up with just because they have to for their job. So I think making light of that, like in Black Friday, a lot of it did is just kind of funny because we've all had that manager and it's like, yeah. So, so that's what he's doing here. Like, dude, this is a Wendy's. Like, it's okay to love what you're doing, but 
not everybody, not everybody's going to have that passion for it. And there's just something so ridiculous and funny about that. And then demons showing up is just, it just amplifies it to me. I think we talked about this a little, the second half of the movie kind of, to me, gets a little less funny. And I think it slows down right there. But as far as like the first chunks and the ridiculousness of the concept, I think it pairs really good with the book. I think that was kind of my big takeaway from it too, was that the movie kind of hit me in two different phases. There was there was the first half of the movie when the zombies weren't really in full effect yet. You'd see them shambling around in the background some, but for the most part, the, uh, the, the movie's more focused on the relationship between these retail workers and the customers and just the hell of working retail on a holiday, which do you have, did you ever have to work retail on a holiday? I worked at Walmart for six years. Oh my gosh. Black Friday is miserable. Like it is miserable. I can't even, I can't even express to you how miserable it is. It's a 12 hour day where you show up and you move stuff from the back room to the floor and then you stand around for 10 hours bored out of your mind to the point that your legs are falling asleep you're so tired of standing up doing nothing and then you get hit with like thousands of people so it really is like a demon infestation because they're just like and you're just you can't do anything you're just standing there like this sucks this just sucks i don't (laughs) yeah oh gosh i think the movie did a really good job of getting that vibe across because i i worked in a restaurant i never worked in retail but it was the same kind of an idea like we would have i worked at a restaurant called taco mac which is the biggest misnomer ever because it's not tacos or macaroni or anything like that it's a beer and wings place so like the fuck it's called taco mac and it is a beer and wings place that's (laughs) when i Taco Mac, all I picture is like taco meat on top of macaroni and cheese. And like maybe like, like it feels like one of those like really college towny kind of restaurants that's set up like um like a Qdoba where you go through and you're like, I want that macaroni and cheese and that taco topping. That's what it feels like to me. Which honestly, that would be delicious. I am so open to that. Though. I want like baked macaroni and cheese with like a cheddar cheese and Doritos topping. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they would the they would have pint night and like the the year i was working there pint night happened to fall on the same night as black friday so everybody was at, going out there and not actually eating thanksgiving dinner with anybody they were just waiting in line at the stores so taco max response to that was all right we'll just stay open until two in the morning so anybody that's at the stores can swing by here afterwards I was like, oh god this is not you're like this is not what i want like, <laughs> right like, going back to the movie in a weird way i feel like sometimes when I've been in those situations, like I worked, I've worked at plenty of restaurants too. And like, you go back to like, when you're just slammed with orders and you just are like, there's no way I'm getting out of this. I just wish a car would crash through the front of the building or the electricity would go out or the stove would catch fire or anything. Get me out of here. It's just so ridiculous that like, I may have wished, wished for a demon infestation to get me out of Walmart. Like, it's like, it's so miserable that everything seems better and it's just such a monotonous thing like the absolute misery of monotony like okay well let me put this burger on this bun now i got 76 more to go 76 burgers on buns on the wall 76 burgers on buns (laughs) i worked at this place for a long time it's in this small town and it was like a blues restaurant like they had a lot of blues bands come in and they'd have this festival and i'd be there for every bit of 14 hours during this festival and it was just non-stop like from the time you got there to the time you left, you were just like, I may as well not even think about like walking away from this grill. Like I'm going to have to have the servers bring me back a glass of water every now and again. And that's going to be my day. 
chicken wings at nine in the morning. Hey, whatever. But the the movie does a really good job of getting that across, and you see all of the all the workers in our situation just hating it. And I think the actors all did a really good job of getting that across. Uh, the the bond you form with the people that you're working with in those situations is better than the bond in any other sort of a job that I've ever had. Oh yeah. I've worked in jobs that are not miserable and you just don't connect with the other people the way that you do. Like misery loves its company. But then the movie kind of the zombies hit and they come in and we go from this very lighthearted, slapsticky kind of NBC comedy sort of a thing to they take Devin Sawa's character. That's the guy whose name mm-hmm. I was looking for earlier. He gets this very tragic arc in the movie and it just gets so sad and serious and they kind of lose the jokes for the second half. And I didn't enjoy yeah. half the movie nearly as much as the first half. And that's always kind of something that I... I, I used to have a term for it, but I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. Like with a lot of comedy movies, they do that. I always use Big Daddy with Adam Sandler as a reference. Like that's the worst reference in the world. But like, it's so funny for like 45 minutes and then it gets so soul crushingly real. And you're like, now I just want to turn it off. Like it's like a turn off point in the movie. Like you're like, oh, now here's the sad part. I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> but I, a lot of Black Friday to me, like some of it got really deep, but even like the, like it got kind of dark, like emotionally, but a lot of the violence was so over the top that it was like almost impossible not to see it. Sometimes it's slapsticky in a lot of ways. And that kind of lightened that to me in ways, but I also definitely see the drop off from a lot more humorous into it stopped being hard. It almost becomes like half horror, half comedy in a sense that it's not blended mm-hmm. in throughout the middle, like. 20 minutes or so i think and i think that's anytime we're talking about a horror comedy or really anytime we try to smash two genres together that can be horror comedy or action comedy or whatever else it's just this hard line i guess in a writer's room to constantly make sure you've got enough jokes scattered in that you never lose track of the comedy element and there's enough scares (laughs) scattered through that you don't lose track of the horror element I, i i've never tried to write a horror comedy myself so maybe you can be the expert here but just trying to keep tabs on how often you've worked in jokes or how often you've worked in scares is that something you have to be really conscious of as you're writing these things or did you feel like that kind of flowed naturally or what was your approach to that um for me it kind of i don't really think about it too often like to me it's even if there's something scary happening it's still kind of funny to me because i try to write it to be a little bit humorous like even anything in my books that I try to make a little bit deeper or say anything more emotionally strong, I try to at least have a, have some sort of cushion to fall back on with a joke or like dialogue, I think is my best friend. A lot of the times, like I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm great at the, at keeping them balanced because like I said, I don't like talking about myself that well, but it's like dialogue can be your best friend in those scenarios. Like somebody can miss say a word and I just think that's funny or like, the Neil, the old Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett dialogue was just awkward. Yeah. It's just too repeating back and forth for like three paragraphs. That can be funny in those really tense situations. So I rely on a lot of kind of who's on first gags. I rely on a lot of that sometimes with my dialogue. And now I may have exposed myself to anybody who's read my books. Like, wait, he does the same damn thing every time. And it's like, sorry, but it's just to me, it's funny. I feel like if I'm having fun writing it, it's going to play through a lot like with a movie or a book. If you're reading a book and you can tell the author just miserably plodding along and like trying to make a word count, you're like, this is not good. Like, this just 
this doesn't feel great. But if they're just writing and having a blast writing, whether that's really serious or it's supposed to be humorous, there's going to be a certain amount of emotion into that. For me, it just kind of, I guess, does come naturally because I'm kind of off kilter in the things I like. Like I watch a lot more horror comedy and I watch Return of the Killer Tomatoes and Saturday the 14th more than I watch anything serious. So I think naturally my influences and the things I admire are going to help me lean towards that a little more to naturally set it up kind of like a lot of people who read a lot of Stephen King you can read and say okay I can tell that you read a lot of Stephen King and that's not a bad thing but you can tell where the things that they've consumed media wise have influenced what they the art they produce which is great I love seeing that so next I want to kind of move on to the the last two movies because I I have a feeling we're going to talk about Shaun of the Dead for a long time and Tucker and Tail for a long time but we would be remiss if we left black friday without at least mentioning bruce campbell he's he's been in so many movies that are so similar to like you could almost have a whole genre just called like bruce campbell movies a couple of my books have got compared to bruce campbell movies and that's like the biggest that's like the most flattering thing that could happen because you think about like evil dead 2 or my name is bruce or even maniac cop where he had such a small role they all have that kind of like hokey nothing is ever too serious and there's always like a joke waiting to happen so it's just i i just love bruce campbell he's created this genre of his own in a way he is so simultaneously charismatic and also a screwball that i don't know all of his performances kind of feel the same to me and that is in no way a knock like he has a very good shtick going on yeah like you can see the movie like you can see he's in a movie and you know exactly what he's going to be playing and you're like this is still going to be amazing like this is still going to be great he's kind of like the comedic version of like a horror legend like vincent price where you're like you know what you're getting with vincent price you know what you're getting like you know you're going to get some really like bad old time misogynistic jokes that he's going to get made fun of for you know you're going to get this fake tough guy act which is going to fall pretty flat and but he's just so good at making fun of himself that it works so perfectly yeah i like i'm a big marvel fan so i know i know marvel movies kind of get a little little hate nowadays for being so formulaic but the the newest one multiverse of madness i watched it knowing that it was a raimi movie and I had heard rumors that Bruce Campbell was going to show up in it. I was hoping he was going to be a big character. But his entire role in that movie is to just show up for 30 seconds, get his hand possessed in a nod to the evil dead, and start strangling himself. And like everyone in the theater that was any sort of a horror fan or anybody that was in the theater that was a Raimi fan, like you could tell them instantly in the theater because we were all dying laughing at that gag and everyone else is looking at us like this isn't really that funny his hands just trying to choke him like what's my wife did not get it at all and I could barely stay in my seat to compare I like professional wrestling a lot I've always loved wrestling you could probably see behind me a lot of wrestling stuff but um it's the same thing like Bruce Campbell's almost a wrestling character like you know what he's gonna do when he's on screen and it's almost like an inside joke it's like the inside nod that fans have when they see something like that they're like okay <laughs> especially in a big budget movie like that it's so you almost feel appreciative you're like yeah <laughs> something I like was funny enough the big huge movie I see that a lot I love trauma movies like the toxic Avenger and all of those movies. I love them. They're so over the top and ridiculous. That would have been a good horror comedy conversation. But if you've not seen them, that's not something that you got to ease your way into that. But um, 
I always see Lloyd Kaufman in a lot of movies. Like he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. He just flashes by in the prison scene. Like he's he's become such a character that you just seeing his presence puts you in an atmosphere. Like almost like you almost have an emotional connection to seeing Bruce Campbell with his hand in that movie. Like you're like, yeah, that brings back nostalgic and great memories right there. And it's like a little nod where you're like the director and screenwriter put that in specifically for me to have fun seeing that. Yes. Um, okay. So anything else to say about Black Friday before we move on? No, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm looking forward to getting the Tucker and Dale. It's one of my favorites. All right. So let's do Tucker and Dale next then. I always pitch this movie to my friends that haven't seen it. I, we already kind of went on this tangent. Um, but I live in a place where there aren't a ton of big horror fans around me at any point. So anytime I'm watching a movie with people and they ask for a horror movie, I've got to be very careful about what I show them. Like I, uh, I mentioned the evil dead one time and the neighbors that were over wanting to watch a movie. They were like, isn't that the tree rape one? It's like, Oh yeah, that is. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Dale, uh, is the movie that I can always recommend as I call it the American Shaun of the dead. I don't call it that because the content has anything to do with Shaun of the Dead. I don't call it that because the jokes are in the same vein as Shaun of the Dead. Um, But it is the American movie that is the same level as Shaun of the Dead in my mind. This is a just God-tier horror comedy in the sense that the horror elements work so well. The comedy elements work so well. You walk away from this movie everyone walks away with this, from this movie with a smile on their face, whether they like horror, they like comedy or anything else. And that was my exposure to Shaun of the Dead the first time. I didn't know what I was getting into when I watched that movie, but it was just so well executed. That I was like, okay, I get horror comedies now. And I feel like Tucker and Dale has that same effect. So um, let, me, let me let you go ahead and introduce it though. So uh, Tucker and Dale, what is this movie? What was your first experience with it? Why do you like it or hate it? To me, it's, I always tell my friends that it's the biggest whoops-a-daisy. Like, it's the biggest misunderstanding you'll ever see. Like, it's just so comedic that these two guys that look the way they do meet these other people that look the way they do. And they're just like, I guess, especially I should mention, this was in the big boom of, like, torture porn movies, like Wrong Turn and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre clones and things like that. So so if somebody looked remotely hillbilly or backwards, people were like, oh, he's probably got 20 20 bodies in his basement so just the awkwardness of the character of tucker just like plays into that where he meets these people who aren't from around the country area and they just instantly think well he's probably going to kill us so it's just this humor of preconceived misconception can just lead to something so insanely off the wall to me that it's like the gap like you think about something like if anybody's seen it i know you have obviously like just the gas station interaction you're like i could see that happening in real life i could genuinely see this misunderstanding happening and it's just so satirical that it blows up with i've got your friend <laughs> yeah it's like you said it's like the sean of dead of america it's just got that same tone that same atmosphere where you as the person watching it are not supposed to take anything really too seriously but at the same time you see this great friendship where you're like i wish i had a friend like tucker who would go out and get stung by a million bees <laughs> it's kind of the underdog story that you see and you just want to have with your friend. Like you're like, I just, except for people jumping in, you know, log chippers or whatever that thing is. Wood chippers, you don't want that. But <laughs> and you can feel their relationship and feel their inside jokes that they have with one another and you can feel their history almost. And I think that was portrayed really well 
in both Tucker, Dale, and Shaun of the Dead, like with friends just having this history that's portrayed really well on screen. Like to me, when I look back at other horror comedies that are classics like Monster Squad, those friends all have this bond that you can see on the screen and you're like, oh, okay, they, they're just so almost comfortable with each other or night of the comet when you watch that movie which if you haven't definitely check that out you just get the vibe that these two actresses that are playing sisters in the movie are really sisters in real life like their chemistry is just so good that that might be more towards the comedy aspect of it but they're just inside jokes are spot on it creates a good feel it just creates this like homely feel in a way and tucker and dale always has kind of done that to me where it's like it's just so over the top and silly and fun that it feels like watching a live action Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. I think a lot of good comedies rely on that buddy aspect of it or that brotherly aspect or the sisterly aspect of it. Like just having two people that are very comfortable with each other in the epicenter of whatever shit's hitting the fan. It opens the door for them to make fun of each other because any good friends, like that's what we do. We're all jackasses to each other. Once you get to know each other well enough, like no, no friends are perfectly nice to each other all the time. Like the meme that you see sometimes where it's like me to my friend, he's a really cool guy and I really love him and wouldn't do anything mean to him. And it's got the guy giving him a bird. It's like, that's how friendship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> feel like that's a litmus test to any friendship. Can I be just a total jerk to this person and then no, I don't mean it. Yes? All right, we're good. If I can't call you an asshole, why would I even want to spend time with you? Yeah, and there's, there's so many good sl- slapstick jokes you can build just off of that. Like, let these people be as mean to each other as possible and let them still be best friends through it and, like, still have each other's backs. Uh, th- there's a lot you can kind of play off with that. And I think Alan Tudyk's character in Tucker and Dale versus Evil is great for that aspect of things because Dale is just frustrated with Tucker this entire time then about getting them into this mess. And he just wanted this retreat with his friend. And he starts kind of not being a jerk to, to Tucker so much, but he starts calling him out on some stuff and you just see his frustration building up. But never mind any of it, this is his best friend. Whatever shit they've climbed into, they're going to get through it together and he's going to support him. And you've got this really nice core relationship to build a build a movie around. And I just I always appreciate that in movies. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a lot of the reason that makes it work so well, too, is that we've all been in that situation where the friend where you're like, okay, I don't really want to do this with them. But I'll go, maybe have fun, maybe the annoyances I've been feeling for them for the past couple months will vanish. And then there's like that point where you're like, you've annoyed me one too many times. And it turns out it's not even over something big. It always turns out being something dumb, like, oh, I nudged a glass wrong. (laughs) Or I had a friend one time, a small group of friends, two of our friends were kind of like tense with each other. And one of my friends was eating spaghetti and he scraped the fork on the plate just a little scrape and that was the biggest meltdown i've seen from my other friend who was just like looking for a reason to blow up it was just like and we've all had those moments is it's just so natural and good to have those moments and then when you see something something actually big blow up on screen like we're trying to save this girl whose friends are actively trying to kill us it makes it feel a little bit more real to you like that's that's I have, never, I have never rescued a girl and had all of her friends swear a blood pact to come kill me, um, fortunately. But I've had those moments, like the like the fork in the bottom of a bowl moment. And I know, like, I, we've all got some frame of reference for this, I guess. Yeah, you, you, it's like, you know it's coming. Like, you, you can feel the tension, like, in a friend group. Like, you can just feel it. Like, you're like, 
these two people are maybe going to blow up at each other. And then you're like, you know that somebody in your friend group is watching you about to blow up on somebody else or somebody else about to blow up on you. And you just feel that collective, like, <laughs> like, Ooh, don't say that right now. What, what did I do? And then it's just like, and then, yeah, everybody's making a blood pack to kill you. <laughs> so, okay. I think this is a really good point to start talking about Shaun of the Dead because everything we're talking about right now is basically the initial premise for Shaun of the Dead. We've got Ed, who is Shaun's roommate, and he just keeps fucking everything up. He, he is having a really hard time getting along with their third roommate. He is about to get both of them kicked out of the house that they're in. Sean is working this dead-end job just to try to make rent. I think he's covering Ed's rent, too, in the movie, or they just hint at it. I don't know. But these friends are kind of at their breaking point at the beginning of this movie, very fresh with each other. And then the zombie apocalypse hits. Saves everything, really, if you think about it. (laughs) And I think another thing where I can see both points of view in a lot of ways. Like, I've been in those friendships where you kind of think well it's time to grow up and stop doing these things and you become this real pretentious ass where you're like i'm not doing that anymore i need to grow up look at me with my big job and the other friends like you can't just like hang out for a little bit and like do this dumb thing that we used to do so it's but then there's also that friend who you always have that's like no i'm just gonna sit around and not do anything and then they get mad at you for having responsibilities and you're like why can't there be a happy medium (laughs) anytime and i I think Shaun of the Dead plays on that perfectly. That it's like even even during a zombie apocalypse, you can still kind of feel that like moving apart of both characters in a way. Mm-hmm. Especially given the the girlfriend or his ex girlfriend, right, with the new boyfriend and everything. It's like you can kind of feel Ed being like, <sighs> "Here we go with this again." I've seen this play out a million times. Can't wait to see him fail again. So it's like it's just very real in a lot of ways. We have to go save her. She dumped you. Do we have to go save her? Like Ed, Ed's sort of the voice of reason in half of their arguments and Sean's kind of the voice of reason in the other half. Yeah, it's it's almost the perfect, it's perfect in a lot of ways that it's exaggerated the exact way that we've all been. We've all been at some point or another like that friend that's like, why bother? Like, what's, what's the point of that? Like, there's no point in that. And then somebody else is so hopeful that it makes you just want to puke. You're like, why are you still so hopeful about this situation? clearly coming past but let's do two questions here what is your favorite joke from Shaun of the dead uh or your favorite gag and what is your favorite kill from Shaun of the dead my favorite joke is always going to be re- you've got red on you because it's just so awkward like it's just so awkward to misplace and he's like what like it's just so weird <laughs> um as far as kill i don't really know it's been a little bit since i've seen it so i'm not thinking off the top of my head head i remember the first one being very memorable with the cricket bat i remember that being yeah that was pretty great because it's just so they're just so confused and awkward and don't really know what to do in the situation and i love that thought of it because it's like i'm 34 years old and i'm a grown adult but at the same time if something like that happened i'm looking around for an adult like like where's an adult to tell me what i need to do here please yeah that that resonated with that always resonates with me when you see characters that are like you're like customer service at an electronic store and quite possibly the most boring adult alive, but I still feel like you don't even think you're an adult like the rest of us. So yeah, I'll just stick with that one. I'll stick with that one. So before I get into my answers, you mentioned the the convenience store worker just kind of going through the motions. And that's a good parallel to in Black Friday when they're doing the same basic gag in the first half with 
you see some of these zombies walking around, but it's very hard to distinguish in the background who's a zombie and who's just a normal shopper. Uh, they both play off of that very intentionally. Uh, and I think that's a really great joke because when we get so into our routine, we do kind of turn our brains off and just kind of become zombies. We're not really aware of anything going on around us. We can kind of turn into jackasses um, if, if anything's trying to deviate us from our path. I think Shaun of the Dead does a really fun job with that because you see society beforehand in that montage in the introduction, people just shambling along. Uh, and then you see those same characters later on and they're zombified doing the exact same thing. And it's just such a great joke. I appreciate Something. Black Friday trying to do that joke too. I don't think they did it as well, but it's fun yeah. to see that same gag kind of resurface in both. I think that's something like, even when you talk about damn guys, grave, gays, graveyard shift, it's like, like you get in these routines and how far is too ridiculous. Like you just like, okay, I work at a convenience store and there's a hell portal. Oh, there's a giant demon watching wrestling. That's about far for the course. Like you just get in these routines where you're like, I just want to get in here, get this miserable experience out of the way and go home. That you don't even think about how ridiculous something is. And I know for me working in retail a lot, I worked in electronics. So it'd be like, somebody comes in and would show you stuff on their phone, like fix my phone. And they're just going through these things. And you're like, you literally just want to turn your Bluetooth on and you're showing and you don't even think about how ridiculous that is. Like the things that people have shown you or said to you, because you're like, I'm just here wanting to get this done and go home. Let's please hurry this up. So I think both kind of play into that really well, where it's the same, where a shopper or a patron can get into a, can get into like a routine where they're just going through these motions that are just really ridiculous. Like they're just over the top. Like if you look at the start of Krampus, we holiday music while everybody's tearing each other apart. And it's like, that's become so normalized. There's humor in the fact that we don't even think it's ridiculous anymore. We just see it every day and we're like, that sounds about right. So at some point, I guess when you start seeing zombies, it's like how long until you're like, okay, well, here's another zombie. Okay, here's another zombie. I feel like it's like human nature to do that in a way. I have a lot of feelings about Krampus. I don't think it's a great movie, but I like watching it. Uh, but that that introduction is so fun because you're right. They do, they do basically the same thing with the introduction to Krampus as they do in Shaun of the Dead and Black Friday in that you've got this scene of horror in the convenience store. But what's different with Krampus is they're not trying to hide it behind the guise of that might be a zombie. It's just mm-hmm. people going full force, beating yeah. out of each other for these toys with no no veil to hide behind. This is just human monsters. So I, I think I like that intro more than I like the rest of the movie, actually. But Really? Um, yeah. It's, I um, think Krampus a lot of things that Shaun of the Dead does, like with the commentary it's making satirically like you've got the uncle who's i won't get into political views but he's not a great guy politically or like the way he looks at the world and it's turned up so loud that it's like how can you not see this it's like a lot of old punk bands like the dead kennedys they would use satire about very serious topics but just make it so loud and over the top that it's funny and i think Shaun of the dead does that a lot for just monotony of life like we're gonna go do this we're gonna save her then we're gonna go to the pub like it's just so like even this extreme thing is going on and it's like we're still going to try and find a way to make this monotonous and boring because that's our lives. And it's such a commentary on that way of life of get up, go to work, come home, get mad at your friend. Like, I just feel like that's what it is. It's just great satire. Yep. I have to maintain my routine. I have to maintain my routine. I have to maintain my routine. It's just so, it is such a part of life for so many people um, that it's good to sit back and poke fun at it for a second. Um, it, if 
if you can't laugh at it, you're going to have to cry about it. Right. One of those things. It's like, you see, you've, you see people like I'm really guilty of if my routine gets messed up, I'm a mess. Like I I don't like it, especially I'm, I'm also a college student, a late blooming college student. And I'm working. So when my routine gets just a little bit off, even if it's in my favor, I feel this need to be like a little bit bummed. Like, I'm like, oh, you mean I don't have to go to work tonight and I have all this time to read or like watch movies or wrestling or something I want to do? And it's almost like, yeah, but that doesn't feel right. So I don't like it. So, And it's crazy how ingrained that gets in us uh, so early on in life. So like I have a two year old right now. And I've never been a massive stick to a schedule kind of a guy. Like I kind of am, but not really with kids. It is insane how committed to a schedule they get. Like Mm -hmm. if it's his nap time by even 30 minutes, the house is going to burn down. I guess that's a human nature thing. Cause like we didn't teach him that, but it's weird how much of a, of a part of our lives, our schedules become. Yeah. And I think Sean of the Dead does that great. Like even when you already said spoilers, even at the end when Ed's a zombie playing video games in the shed, it's like, he's literally the living dead and you're still keeping up this routine with him. Like, you've just completely thrown out how weird this is. So um, I, I never said my favorite kill, my favorite joke. So let's <laughs> kind of end the Sean discussion on this. Yeah. I think my favorite of both, I, I get to go two for one here is the uh, the record scene where they're going through Sean's records and seeing which ones they can throw at a zombie and which ones they need to keep. That, uh, that's you. You've just reminded me of that, and that's great. The Batman soundtrack, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> Two zombies coming at them with these chunks of records sticking out of their heads. I think I'd be the same way. Like, if it was, like, me and my movies or, like, some of my, like, wrestling action figures, which one do I want to get rid of? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that one. <laughs> yeah, that one was not great. Here you go. <laughs> which which DVDs do I throw? The new Resident Evil movie. Throw it. <laughs> really? Oh, man, I would keep that one. Oh, no. Okay, that's we have, to have a whole side discussion about this later. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. But I'm not, I'm not a big gamer. That's probably the... Um, I guess if you look at the movies that I really like and the movies that I've that I put at a really top tier, you would probably understand why I think that was great. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know much about the video game, so I'll zip it on that, I guess, for now. I do not want to be that person that's, oh, they deviated from the video games. I hate it. I, I don't want to be that person, but also, holy crap, they deviated from the video games so much that i don't know you get so attached to something like it's like if they make a movie based on a book and you're so attached to the source material that you almost feel betrayed so i totally get that like even a comic book movie like man i was really upset I'm, i love aquaman and i was so upset when they cast chase in my because i was like he is not gonna he's like an action star and he's not gonna have the humanity that aquaman needs he's just gonna be tough the whole time i was 100 wrong in my opinion i thought he was great after i've watched the movie i was like okay he's perfect for aquaman he's great but you get so attached to source material that anything that's like it feels like a betrayal if something isn't spot on the way you want it to be yeah like if they make a graveyard shift movie and instead of uh kevin the talking cockroach it's just some store clerk sitting there like we're i'm gonna be mad (laughs) yeah his name's kevin or like his name's kevin and they call him roach because he's gross you're just gonna be like i'm done yeah see ya
<laughs> like Stephen King's Under the Dome. Did you were you familiar with that at all? Like I wanted that movie, that show, and I was just like, what? <laughs> that is one of the Kings that I have never read, and that is one of the one of the shows that I never watched. I have absolutely no baseline for Under the Dome. And it was rough. The TV show was like so rough. Like they had they changed the character in the book who's like a he's a meth addict and he's turned to religion and he's like this crazy meth addicted religious guy and they turned him into a radio dj that just a cool guy who listens to reggae and you're like i don't get this okay whatever like you've completely changed the tone of that but i'm i'm not i just it it, i thought i did feel betrayed in that because then you're like a lot of the story that i like to set up that's set up later almost can't be set up now it's like you know going into it like this character trait that i like that i think makes for some really interesting story arcs is already erased this is sounding a lot like my my connection to watching the stand tv series that they came up with sort of the same idea like just the way that they plotted it out showing everybody in boulder colorado right at the beginning of the show you just cut the legs out of so much of this story arc especially with larry that was like oh well okay (laughs) it's like (laughs) you had to learn learn it backwards almost which i didn't i didn't love (laughs) okay but anyhow bringing it back from stephen king bringing it back in (laughs) Uh, I've got I've I've kind of got two wrap up questions here for us today, uh, and anybody that's been listening to the podcast for a while, these are the same two questions I'm going to try to end every episode with. But uh, uh, question number one: If this is the killer mediums podcast, and we are trying to compare all these different mediums and how they they treat the same tropes, which medium do you think is best suited for horror comedies? Do you think? movies produce the best horror comedies how about tv shows maybe books video games we didn't really talk about video games um but what what do you think is the best treatment for a horror comedy here see i think that's kind of a double-edged sword i think that depends in a lot of ways and i hate to say that that's such a cop-out answer because i have to use it because i write horror comedy so i can't just be like i think movies are better then everybody's gonna go oh then what's the point of your existence in this (laughs) so it's like the question then let me adjust the question um what do you think that movies can do better for horror comedies and what do you think that books can do better for horror comedies you don't have to pick one or the other but just what are the advantages to them that's what i was going to lead into actually is like i think it's just a taste thing if you like visual gags better like movies are obviously going to work if you like if something like the you've got red on you joke wouldn't have worked very good in the mo- in a book version of Shaun of the Dead, it wouldn't have been as funny. But if you but if dialogue is something that you really like, like if you're a fan of more of a stand up comedy type of thing, I think I think horror comedy and books is going to work a lot better because I am a bigger fan personally of the dialogue that's funny, like awkward dialogue, like I mentioned Neil Gaiman or Ailey Martinez, some of these people that just have these really awkward over the top character traits with their dialogue. I think that works a lot better in a book but for a movie i think quick short punches work a lot better especially in horror like an adam green movie we man we should have maybe watched one of those where it's just so over the top and violent like hatchet but it's also very visually funny yeah i can see that for me i uh, i'll tell all myself here a little bit i did not have very high expectations going into graveyard shift because for me a lot of the comedy that i like really relies on timing I think when you've got that set up for a joke, you've got to get the timing exactly right, the inflection exactly right for how you say the joke at the end of it. And I just didn't know how that was going to work in book format. 
So I was really pleasantly surprised when I was reading Graveyard Shift and enjoying it so much. And I was trying to process in my mind, like, what's like, how is this working so well? I think what DM Gay does so well, um, and I think what any good horror comedy book would need to do so well, is just leaning into the situational comedy of it, the absurd um, things that are going on. Like you said, you can do that with dialogue, I think, pretty well. Uh, and you can do that with just the setups of stuff. You work at the 24-7 Demon Mart. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of room to play here, but you, you kind of have to avoid the slapsticky comedy in books because mm-hmm. the, there's no way to deliver that punch exactly when you want to sometimes. And I might be totally wrong about this. I would love for somebody to send me examples uh, of good, well-done slapstick comedy in books. Uh, but I think it's just a lot easier to do that in movies maybe i think i see it a lot in books i can't think of any examples off the top of my head a lot of the things i see in books that work that way it has it depends on the bit and a lot of character build like it almost has to be a character doing something so out of character in a slapstick form like have a serious character trip over themselves to the point that you can visualize it like that's when it works in books for me but yeah i tend to agree with you i never really read horror comedy because i kind of always just thought I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to explain that it would maybe just be like a horror book with some bad jokes, but then like a decade or more ago, I finally was like, well, I love movies like this. Why am I not reading books like this? And some of the stuff I found like, like Jeff Strand or DM gay, it's like, there's so much more to it. There's so much more ridiculous dialogue and situations and just over the top things that you can do. But the same for movies, I guess like if I had to pick one personal favorite horror comedy, Obviously, Return of the Living Dead, which I said, but something that's more comedy and silly, I'm always going to go with Saturday the 14th because it's just so over the top and dumb. Like, there's a monster doing dishes. Like, it just in saying that is like, that's so dumb. Who would watch that? But it's so perfect and funny because it works that way. The execution is done well. Yeah. It, it, okay. Um, yeah, you're, what you were saying about horror comedies and how you thought about them a decade ago I think that's kind of where I was before we recorded this episode like I had never asked I had never actively sought out a horror comedy book before because I think that is where my mind was that it would just be a horror book with a couple of kind of bad jokes worked in just for the sake of calling it a horror comedy you have opened my eyes good sir yeah I'll send you you some recommendations for sure (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. And I can I can get those added to the show notes if, if anybody wants to go on this adventure with me. Okay, so then last question. Let's go into this. So I know that you you are a horror comedy writer, but I do not want you to confine yourself with your answer here to the limits of what you know you can do. Let's say, hypothetically, some big publishing company or some big production company approaches you and they say, Damien, We want you to make the greatest horror comedy thing that has ever existed. What do you make? I have a good answer for this. It's going to be an adaptation of Zombies Ate My Neighbors from the early 90s. Fantastic. It's just going to be over the top, practical effects, get some favorite actors from the 80s to play characters and just make it just this tribute to how over the top horror can possibly be. Maybe even put some little book references in there, like have some characters from books be the monsters that, you know, because there's no real storyline to that game. It's just you're these two teenage kids shooting zombies with water guns. And that in itself would already make for a hilarious movie, I think. 
And I just, the, the, I, the concept of just having all these giant fractal effects monsters, like the giant baby in level four would be, it would be chef's kiss for me. <laughs> I love it. I want it. Um, production companies that I know are listening to this podcast religiously, <laughs> um, reach out to Damien. Let's get this thing made. Let's make it. So, all right. I think that just about wraps us up for today. But uh, Damien, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a joy to talk to you. Um, yeah, absolutely. One more time for our listeners. If they are trying to reach out to you, find you, what are your socials? Uh, where can they find your books? I'm on Instagram at Damien Thulu, like Cthulhu at the end. Um, I'm on Twitter at DC Ugly Books. My books are all on Amazon, but if you want to buy a signed copy, reach out to me. I usually sell them for way cheaper than I should. So that's maybe a recommendation to reach out to me before Amazon because <laughs> Amazon, you'll get like my newest coffin dodger for $10 plus shipping and not signed. And I'll just sell to you for the same price with shipping signed. So, and I'll send, I, I always throw in little funny goodies too. So yeah, they're on Amazon, but reach out to me maybe. And I'll, we'll, we'll do something fun with it instead of just, here's your brown package that the mailman left out in the rain and ruined it. <laughs> Something fun, and you don't support Bezos. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, if anybody, my socials reach out, like, if you just want to message me and go, yeah, Saturday the 14th was great. Or, yeah, I love, kill have you seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? I'll talk to you for hours. Awesome. Well, again, so thank you so much for coming on. Let's do the sign-off stuff. Unless, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I'm great. I'm good. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Of course. Literally any time. Uh, reach out. You've been great to talk to. So, But that just about wraps us up to, for this episode. To everybody listening, thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to like or subscribe or uh, call Kevin at the front of the PA system to request the streaming service of your choice. And we'll see you next time. I am William Sterling, and this has been another episode of the Killer Mediums Podcast. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Mm -hmm.